You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Mic check, one, two, mic check, coming in hot on a Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we're going to be talking about some early season success in Kentucky with my buddy, Josh Honeycutt. Now, Josh is an avid bow hunter, a serious hunter altogether, and he's an outdoor rider, so he's had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people throughout the years about what their strategy is and things like that. And so we talk a little bit about this early season uh, time frame, but really what this episode is about is about some success. And I can't remember the score. He gives it in the episode, but it's a it's a stud early season buck. He breaks down the entire story for us, like where this deer was living, what the deer density is uh, in that area. We talk about a major uh, adjustment to the terrain, which was taking it out of CRP and putting it in crops uh, and, and the impact he feels that that will have both early season and late season. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately we get into this, this particular buck that he has watched for several years and then given the opportunity to, to hunt it. And so it's a really good episode. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get into uh, the rest of the episode, however, we are going to do a little commercial break. And I really appreciate you guys taking uh, time to not skip through these and listen to these commercials because ultimately these commercials pay the bills and allow this content to be free. So uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in as always. And before we get it, actually, before we get into this episode, I know a lot of us in October, uh, there's a lot of October openers in there. If you have already started hunting, man, good luck, right? But if you haven't, good luck. And I am sending good vibes out to each and every one of you because I truly, truly want each and every one of you to find success this season, whatever that may be. Maybe it's just getting a buck or filling the freezer or getting a big buck, having it mounted on your wall, whatever your goal is. I hope you accomplish it this this upcoming season, man. And then when you do accomplish that goal, you call me. Or, or, or hit me up through Instagram and you let me know and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. So uh, huge shout out to all of you. Thank you very much for tuning in and, and continuing to make the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Empire what it is. Now, commercial time. Code Blue Sense, right? I got 
five mock scrapes out there setting right now. Hopefully, uh, when I go to check the trail cameras that are over top of them, they start to get, um, I'm starting to get some information about what deer are working them. If deer are working them, hopefully I did it right. And uh, I really just want, uh, I really just want these to work because I, if they do, I'm, I'm really hoping I can start to use them as a year round strategy. And uh, so huge shout out to uh, Code Blue Sense for uh, partnering, partnering with me this season. If you are looking for any type of scent control products or synthetic deer urine or real deer urine, uh, go to CodeBlueSense.com. There is a discount code. NFC20, and that's going to get you 20% off. Please go take advantage of that. They have scent elimination products, uh, laundry detergent products. They have uh, deodorant, yeah, of course, the synthetic and real uh, deer urines as well, and the orbital uh, ropadope uh, uh, system that you can use for mock scrape. So there's that. And then uh, Woodman's Pal. Right, so in order to clear out all these places where I hung trail cameras over mock scrapes, I used a woodman's pal uh, to hack away, chop down the vines, the grass, actually rough up the dirt. So the woodman's pal is this awesome habitat tool. It's made in America. It's built to take a beating, very durable, very sharp. So if you want more information on the woodman's pal, go check out woodmanspal.com. And last but not least, Huntworth. Uh, Huntworth is is gaining traction big time uh, in this in this. Uh, I guess you would call it the, the hunting community, the hunting industry. I'm starting to notice more and more people gravitating towards Huntworth, and I feel like the reason why is because they are they are very close to. Uh, from a quality standpoint compared to some of the elite brands that are out there you know what elite brands i'm talking about so the quality is matching uh some of those elite brands and then the affordability comes in anywhere between 40 to 50 percent cheaper than some of these elite brands and so you can get really high quality clothing uh, and hunting apparel and hunting gear uh when you when you decide to choose Huntworth, so what I always tell people is go visit Huntworth's uh, website, HuntworthGear.com. Check out all of the the offerings that they have. You know, early season when it's hot, mid season when you need a couple extra layers, especially in the mornings, and then the cold late season uh, time frame. They have they have garments for every situation in, in a variety of camel patterns. So go check that out, uh, HuntworthGear.com. Uh, that's it. Let's get into today's episode where we talk with my man, Josh Honeycutt on his early season success. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to start over. I'm just going to, I'm going to force it through <laughs> Josh Honeycutt, man. How we doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Hey, first off, congratulations big deer in the dirt and it's not even october yet yeah thank you uh you know i i don't kill big deer often but when i do i i try to appreciate it because like i said it's it's about once every five 
plus years whenever I kill a deer like this one. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I'll t- tell you what, I, I'd take him. I'd take him any any day of the week, any season of, of my life. That's a great buck, and we're going to break this all down. But before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this particular story, um, what else do you have going on this year outside of this Kentucky hunt that we're going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as other hunts, I, I, I hunt Kentucky and Ohio every year. I've got um, a place that up there. I hunt some both some private land and some public land up there. Um, there's a, a, a just I've, I've done some on and off hunting in Indiana throughout the years, and I've picked up a piece of private land up there that I'm going to hunt this season as well. Um, and then I hunt some public land in Tennessee. So Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee are kind of the rest of the year for me. Okay. And uh, as far as where the excitement level, bef- like we're, t- we're talking now before you shot this buck, the excitement level leading up to this season, knowing that you have, you know, you sounds to me like you have uh, quite a bit of opportunity to hunt. You probably knew this guy was around. Uh, what was your excitement level leading into this season? Yeah, yeah, this is a deer that's been on the property. So I've, we've hunted this property my family has for about, I think this is the ninth season, um, since 2015. So so right around nine seasons, I think, eight or nine seasons. But anyway, it, it, he's been on the property for the past three years. So the deer was only, that's him right back there, but he's only four and a half years old this mm-hmm. year. So, um, you know, at two and a half, we didn't really pay a lot of attention to him. Last year, he was probably a mid-30s 12-pointer. He had split G4s on each side. And, and you know, it was like, oh, that's a deer that could really turn into something. Um, and so, obviously, this year when he showed back up, you know, I was, I was certainly ready to, to try to get after it. Awesome. All right. So, let's talk a little bit about this property that you hunt in Kentucky. Give us the breakdown um, maybe of the, the farm specifically and then the neighborhood surrounding it, uh, you know, terrain. Is it like a timber ag mix? Is it big woods? What's the what's the story with this area? Yeah, so historically this was a CRP farm, um, but it just came out of a 15-year contract and they didn't renew. And a lot of properties aren't renewing this year uh, because they're not able to pay them as much as they can get from, you know, ag leases. Yep. So a lot of farms are coming out of CRP. This is one of them. Um, so uh, this particular property historically had long stretches, not a lot of timber. I would say probably on, it's about 200 acres. The property is, and it's probably got a total of um, maybe 30 acres, 40 acres of timber on it, but it's just got two big blocks, long blocks of timber on the east and west sides. And in the middle of it, and then some, you know, the southern, you know, and some other little pockets were CRP. And this year, everything that was CRP turned to, to ag. Um, and basically half the properties in corn, half the properties in beans, and they're going to rotate each year from now on. Okay. Um, so, so a lot of these deer, you know, the mature deer, they bedded pretty much all year long in the timber anyway. So it really didn't change where the deer were bedding at. Um but I think it has cut down on the number of deer that's on the property simply because they lost a lot of that, that bedding cover there that was they they use CRP to bed in you know yeah. all year long. Not as much when it's hot because they just that sun's beating down on them. But um, 
but so I did notice the deer density dropped a little bit just when, when that CRP vanished it kind of dispersed some of the deer um but it didn't seem to hurt the mature bucks at all because the mature bucks were taken because the both of the the timber blocks are on high ground mm -hmm. and then it slopes down toward the middle where the CRP is at and so it really didn't diminish the number of mature bucks that we've seen um so far um it, it drops some of the, the 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 number of does and younger bucks but the bucks the butcher bucks were still taking that premier bedding that they've always used and you know the, the does and the smaller bucks had bedded at the lower elevations and then down in the crp so it's not impacted and i don't think it will impact the property outside of the rut what i do think will change is how how well the rut is okay um, because the the because come the you know come the rut each year that property just popped because it was just so much contiguous um crp that, that the bucks would just push those does down into that crp out of the timber get them away from the rest of the herd and they they would just run like crazy in daylight in that crp out in the open because it was you know you, you got head high and chest high grass you know the deer feel safe yeah um yeah. and so you're, now they you're, don't have that so you're thinking that actually this um change to ag is going to hurt the property uh yes no i think it's going to help the property early and late season and i think it's going to hurt it during the rut okay all right yeah I mean, it make you know makes makes a lot of sense. I'll come. I'll come back. I can come back to you maybe after deer season. Absolutely. Not, Absolutely. Now, for this particular buck, though, um, did you know about him last year or any previous years? Yeah. So he. So so I had him on camera as a two and a half year old, and last year as a three and a half year old. I actually passed the deer, and saw the deer probably five to ten times last year, um, and uh, he put on probably. 30 or 35 inches from last year to this year. Yeah. And so if you've got a thousand, if you've got a thousand acres, don't shoot that deer at four and a half. <laughs> he, he really, honestly, he had the genetic potential to be a 200 plus inch deer yeah. uh, at maybe five and a half or six and a half. But I just can't walk a deer like that for one. Cause I'm just not, I'm not that, that type of hunter. I yep. can't pass up a, a high one sixties, one seventy, hundred seventy inch deer. You know, I just can't do that. Um, and, and, and two, even though I would love to have seen that deer in another year or two, the, the neighbors weren't going to let that happen. Yep. Um, and I know everybody says that, but really, honestly, it, it, this deer would have died before the season was over. Um, so, uh, last year is funny. We kind of, the people that I kind of lease with, uh, and, and, and you know hunt with on the property as well as some of the neighbors actually kind of got together and they saw this last year we did and they're like mm, that deer could turn into something and so everybody kind of la last year was like oh let's pass that deer let's make sure he makes it another year which was good you know I, I had at that point i had already passed the deer two or three times anyway and so that's i was you know i was i was on board with that and uh everybody else was too uh and so fast forward to the late season last year and I had to do something that really kicked me in the, in the, in the gut. And so I, I took a youth hunter mm -hmm. on that property. He had never shot a deer before. And I had to make him pass that deer. Ouch. Yeah. Oh, and so man, I felt really bad about That's a tough one. Yeah. So, so basically before the hunt started, I showed him a picture of the deer and there was a bunch of bucks over there, a yeah. bunch of does, a bunch of young bucks, a, several mature bucks too. And I was like, there's a lot of deer over here. They're like, this is the type of place when you go deer hunting, you see about 30 deer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at, at, if you see less than 20, it's been a bad day. 
and, and at, at best we've in, in a full day of deer hunting during the rut we've seen upward of 60 unique deer yeah um you know some of those does might have been counted twice but anyway so we get there before we before we actually get out of the vehicle i tell him i show him a picture i was like you can shoot any deer you see except for this one and i've already promised several people that this deer won't get shot this year and of course and of course i tell him i was like we probably won't see the deer because i kind of went to a spot where i didn't expect to see the deer mm-hmm. you know i didn't want to put him right in the middle of that deer's core area and so i didn't we got well away from where that deer beds well lo and behold that was the first deer we saw oh my god <laughs> yeah and so it was re- I, I know everybody listening to this right now is like oh my goodness this guy this guy's this guy's a, an absolute dog turd and i felt like a dog turd but i'd already promised several people including myself that this deer would live another year mm-hmm. um and so i had to call him off the deer we had him at 25 yards and he was sitting there with a crossbow in late season and you know chip shot broadside and it is what it is fortunately you know i, I but but i don't think that was all bad though and let me let me explain my you know my reason for that anytime you take a deer hunter and they they go out their very first trip the very first two or three hours that they've ever went deer hunting and they shoot up a, 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 a nice deer like that. I, I'm a firm believer that it ruins them. I, I agree 100%. I have stories on the nine finger Chronicles podcast that back that fact up. There was this guy told me, I think he was 16 years old, shot like a 188, And he said, after that, nothing interested I had no interest in shooting, you know, locating bucks anymore because I had already shot a giant deer. And so for the next couple seasons after that, he was like, well, where are all these big deer at? And basically what happened is he got lucky that first year. And, and so, uh, it, he, he went, he, he left hunting and finally he came back as an adult, but dude, I agree 100% that whether that, whether you know, whether it's a listener of this episode or that kid himself was like, dude, Josh Honeycutt, he's an a-hole, dude, uh, for, you know, for pulling that kid off that. it, Dude, I, I think that was the right move. Well, it, it ended up working out. So yeah. he ended up, that was, like I said, that was the first time we went, like the first couple of hours that he'd ever been deer hunting. And, um, and so it, we ended up having to go probably five or six or seven times before he finally ended up getting a deer. And we hunted, it was late season. We hunted some with a crossbow, some during the muzzleloader season. This is Kentucky for those that I, have, I don't think I've already said that. But, um, and so he ended up getting a nice buck. He ended up getting a bigger deer. He ended up getting uh, a more mature buck. So that was a three and a half year old deer last year. He ended up killing a deer that was probably four and a half, maybe five and a half. Um, and so, and it, and it ended up being about the same score wise, but, but it was a more mature deer. Um, and, and so it, and he actually ended up doe first. So I think it was probably the fifth, sixth, seventh time that we'd went. And, uh, of course it was late season and we've had, had some close calls, actually stalked some deer, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. with, with a crossbow, you know, we, we actually got, to, he got to experience a lot of different things in those seven days and, and see the different nuances of deer hunting. Um, from encounters to tactical approaches and this, that, and the other. So it was actually a good thing that it took him, you know, five, six, seven days to, to finally fill that tag versus, you know, the first two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually he, we ended up, I think it was the last day that he ended up going, he, we, he shot a doe and it was really early in the hunt. We had a nice cold front that pushed through and dropped the temperatures. And so the, the deer were moving early and he ended up shooting a doe. Um, and then we still had like two and a half hours, three hours of daylight. And so I was like, you know, we can sit here if you want to and try to get you a buck, you know. And he's like, yeah, let's try that. And so and he ended up killing, a, you know, a nice buck. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, closer to sunset. So it, it worked out. 
Yeah. But that was kind of the that was kind of the summary of of what happened with this deer in 2022. Okay. And so you 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 got him as a two-year-old. You got him as a three-year-old on the property. Like you, you know about this buck, right? Yeah. Where? Explain to us where he was living and what he was doing, and then if you felt like this this new introduction of ag into the area was going to just make him go somewhere else. Yeah. So last year he you know he, this deer is this deer's personality so it, when you research I, i'm a big follower of the mississippi state university deer lab i love their research um and i actually just did a blog post for um realtor.com on that and it talks about the different personalities of of uh deer and so the msu has actually studied and, and created kind of uh nickname not nicknames but labels so to speak for different personality types as far as how much or little deer move and so they, they give these deer, uh, you know, different, you know, put them in different categories, essentially. And this deer was uh, what you would call like a, a transient deer, sort of. He was very apt to move. He was very sporadic. He moved a lot, but he was never consistent. So some, some bucks I've hunted have had very small core areas, very consistent, um, moved very little in daylight. But when they moved, there they were. Um, this deer was not afraid to move in daylight but he just was so inconsistent he would do this today and something different tomorrow um now he uh, this year that changed a little bit so he was more reserved to move in daylight uh, actually uh, I, I put my cameras out early august right at the beginning of august i think and from like mid-august to i ended up killing the deer i'm gonna pull my calendar up here when i killed the deer last tuesday on september the 2nd um or excuse me september the 12th um tuesday so for that month period i probably only had maybe four daylight afternoon appearances on trail camera and i did some glassing from afar to try to find this deer too and figure him out and i never did see him when i was glassing from afar glassing beans so he didn't move a lot in daylight but when he did move it was always in somewhere somewhere different and he and historically he used the entire farm and some of the neighboring farms too Mm -hmm. everybody was seeing this deer everybody knew about it and so he was using every bit of five six seven hundred acres probably okay this year so far he really kind of honed in on so and so i didn't have a full season with this deer so so it was really not a good not a good sample but for this summer and you know leading into september when i killed him he pretty much was very loyal this year to his summertime early season bedding area he had a couple different ones that he was using. So I like, I, I would, you know, on trail cameras, I would see him the morning going back into a, this bedding area, or that bedding area afternoons. He would either come out of this bedding area or that bedding area, but he, but he was pretty much using two different bedding areas pretty reliably. But what he would do of an afternoon and night when he would leave those was so sporadic and so, um, um, really seemingly now after i started studying trail camera you know data and daylight photos and wind directions there's and a, a pattern emerged but just on the surface it seemed really really sporadic and almost without thought what this deer was doing because he could go in any direction for food he had beans and corn you know in every direction gotcha so it was almost because what what most deer do and, and this is this is from my experience is they will go for, let's just use soybeans for an example. When they're ripe, they're going from their bed 
to the soybeans back and forth every night. Oh, acorn trees dropping. They're going to go there until the food source either runs out or dries up or changes or whatever it is. Then they go to a, a new food source. And so whatever is the freshest and, and whatever, you know, things like that. And so it's interesting to hear you say that because this buck goes against the grain of, I guess, what you would call the law of averages on how deer move and, and wh- what food source he's hitting and things like that. It's, it's less of a straight line. Yeah, and well, and he was hitting beans 99% of the time, but he had beans. like he, so, so his bedding area is on top of the hill, and the, the top of the hill is timbered. And then he's got soybeans to the northwest, west, southwest, south, east, northeast, northwest. I mean, he could go in any direction he wants to to get beans. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've and, and there's corn off to the west and to the east too. But um, so there's beans in every direction. And so he was hitting beans most of the time. But he's like, eh, I like those beans today. Oh, I like those beans today. You know. But whenever I started studying trail cameras. The, the 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 daytime pictures and, and not so much the daytime pictures because I didn't have a bunch of those but those photos that were at least close to daytime um you know right after sun you know right after legal light ended in the afternoon or right before you know legal light started of the morning the trail camera showed me that he was hitting going in different directions from his bedding areas bedding and pretty you know here or here most of the time but he depending on which way the wind was blowing would determine which beans he went and ate that day okay so so Instead of finding one end spot, you found two ending spots where he was ending up. You found the same bed, but based off of the wind direction, you're able to determine what air, like what part of the beans he's going to. Which I look at that and I say, dude, that's awesome. Now you know exactly what he's doing. In, in you have mm-hmm. you just have more information about how this deer moves. Yeah. And, and a lot, you know, a lot of the time, so like I said, it seemed like this deer was being really sporadic and really random, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. Yeah. Um, he, he still was in a sense, but, but there was more of a pattern there than I realized once I got down and started digging through the weeds. And the way that I personally like to do that is I like to look at the timestamps on the trail camera photos, the direction of travel. And I also go back and I use weather underground. There's probably other services, but I use weather underground to check the historical wind direction for that timestamp um and that tells me what the wind direction was now not that might not have been blowing exactly like that and i'll get into that a little bit later might not be blowing exactly the way it's projecting it to on on that you know what the weather channel or or the weather source says it was and and you know because topography really impacts that wind direction as you and everybody listening knows but so it, it may not be you know if it's if it says it was a north it might not have been exactly a north it might have actually been blowing like out of the northeast or the northwest in that spot at that particular time excuse me but even if that's the case you still once you learn that property and know what the wind does in an area when you see what that either looking at historical data or looking at future you know um uh, forecasts if you see that it's blowing north you're like oh well it says it's blowing north today in that particular spot it's going to be blowing northeast yeah. or northwest yeah and so what i come to realize is that deer really liked to come in there on a westerly or southerly ish wind um he did not like to come in to the spot that i was hunting with a northerly uh, like a north basically from a north to uh southeast 
he didn't like to come in there. Okay. From a south up to around a northwest, he would come in there. And most of the time, it was a, a south to a west. Okay. Well, you just omitted a whole bunch of wind directions that are pointless to hunt at that point, right? If that buck is your target, then you say to yourself, well, I, there's no point in me going in there on these on this northeast or eastern wind. I'm waiting for a south. I'm waiting for a west or a northwest. And those are those are my those are my attack days. Initial and ninety nine percent of the time, and for ninety nine percent of the properties, that's going to work. But what I realized for this particular spot, and it doesn't make sense because it didn't seem like that it's the type of topography that. So I've hunted this property a long time, but I had not hunted that particular exact spot. And you know how wind can be different from you know ten yards this way or twenty yards that way. But I had never hunted that exact spot until this season. Mm-hmm. Hunted close, hunted tree stand locations 50 yards away, 40 yards away, 30 yards away. But that particular spot, and I can't explain it, but that it, the wind always blows in one of two directions right there. It's it's so weird because um, I didn't think the topography was going to impact it that much, but it does. And so what I realized is most of the time, even if, if it's forecast in northeast or south most of the time in that particular spot that wind is coming back south or southeast um it basically it either blows southeast or northwest it's and, and it's not a channel you would expect something mm-hmm. like that in like a valley with two hills on the side yep. so if like it's like it's so if it's like it's running north and south you know if it's a northwest wind the wind's blowing down the gut north yep. or if it's out of the south somewhere it's going this isn't like that you know this is kind of up toward a hilltop but for some reason and maybe it was just the way the thermals were working because I didn't have a lot of strong winds on the days that I was hunting. So maybe it was more thermal action. I still don't know how that explains it, and I can't explain it. But but anyway, I hunted that particular spot three times. And even when the wind said that it was just slightly different or greatly different, that wind was always coming out of the south southeast. And that benefited, and sometimes it would turn and go to southwest. But anyway, that deer liked to come in on a south wind, so that worked for me, even though, um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it wasn't doing what it says it was supposed to do. But, yeah, so I, I, I digressed a little bit there, so... What we were talking about though works for 99% of sits. You know, yeah. when you're like, whenever I've hunted past bucks and I've looked at the wind directions, you know, most areas that you're hunting, most stand locations are are, are going to operate that way. This was just a weird anomaly, and, and so I, I bring it up just to point out that there may be hunters out there who don't realize. Most of them probably do, but. Uh, don't take what the weather channel is saying for the wind direction at stand location at face value. Absolutely. That's a great point. That is a great point. I've, I've learned that lesson so many times. Like, like it took me a while, right? You get up into a tree. It's like, why isn't it North? You know, the, the, it says it's North, but it's West or, you know, they're obviously not taking into consideration any type of thermal disruption or any type of vegetation or terrain, you know, and things like that. So that's, yeah. a, that's an absolute great point. Well, and, and to the, and, and furthermore, those data, weather data, that's coming from a weather station that might be 20 or 30 miles away. Exactly. And so, you know, it might be reading West on that weather station, but where you're at, it might be, might be like on the edge of the jet stream yeah, or on the edge of a front and it's doing something completely different. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you started putting the pieces of the puzzle together as far as 
how this deer was coming out of his bed and going to eat. How many trail cameras did you have in the area? And was that, was that the key indicator and in, in how he was moving? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, he really, so I had probably on, on the property. I have more trail cameras than this, but in that particular area where I was actively targeting and felt like I had a chance. And, and honestly, I felt like this was the only spot that I had an opportunity to kill this deer because he was the timber I was talking about on the East and West side stays on, it's kind of on the property line. So mm -hmm. some of that timber is on us. Some of it's on the neighbors on each, on each side. And so like the hilltop is where numerous properties come together and everybody's got a piece of the pie, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now on the East side where I was hunting, we have the bulk of the timber. Um, but he could have went a few hundred yards to the North and been on a different neighbor 50 60 depending on where he was bedding at the time if he, you know which bed he was using on the hilltop i mean he could have went 100 to 150 yards from his bed to the northeast and been on another property 125 100, 150 yards to, to the east and been on another one. southeast been on another like he was right there where a bunch of properties meet and um so so he was the, the way the property lays out is is the the timbers on each side and then the, the ags down in the middle and so he was coming toward the middle of the property when he came to our beans. Like I said, some days it seemed like he was, now I don't know this for sure, but it seemed like he was going to the neighbor's beans because I wouldn't either, A, wouldn't see him, or B, wouldn't get any kind of trail camera movement from the deer. So it, it seemed like on those other winds, he was going to the neighbor's. Um, whereas whenever I had the winds, that I felt like he was comfortable coming down toward. And I think those overarching wind directions applied that we were talking about earlier you know those consistent south and westerly winds that he liked mm -hmm. were consistent for the general area but once you got to that particular stand location the winds just got a little funky yeah. so i think those overarching wind directions that he liked to come toward our beans on still was relevant despite the funky winds that were going on in that particular location i ended up shooting but but anyway i had to answer your question i, I think i had probably five trail cameras in that particular area and he was not hitting any of them but one okay and those trail cameras were all within probably a 75 yard radius of each other okay all right so that goes to show just how easy in my opinion a deer can be missing trail cameras and you never even know that deer is there especially you know if he's if the, one of those trail cameras isn't on that travel route so i had like i said probably five cameras in a, a 75 to 80 yard radius and I think, like I said, I think he only hit one of those five. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you had, you had a good idea. Now, when was Kentucky's opener? September 2nd. So that it, Kentucky opens the first full weekend of September. So okay. that would have been September 2nd. All right. How many times did you hunt this buck before you killed him? Yeah. So opening morning, I took my little cousin deer hunting. He's killed a couple of deer, but he ended up, he never killed one with a bow. So I took him hunting that morning and he shot his first velvet buck with a bow. So that was nice. opening morning. And then I went opening afternoon to hunt this particular deer. I did not see him, but I saw the two bucks that he bachelored with all summer. They came in, came through in full disclosure. I was hunting a corn pile, Kentucky. I can do that. Yep. And so that may make a lot of listeners mad, but you know, you can do it in Kentucky, and honestly, if you're not doing it, everybody around me hunt, puts corn out. And so if I don't put corn out too, I don't see deer, period. You know, so so just if that makes people mad, I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. I don't apologize don't because apologize. I can do it. Yeah. 
I don't apologize. I'm, I'm so I'm sorry that they're mad about it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Tough shit. But so I hunted. <laughs> yeah. So so the way the way it was set up was um, uh, the corn pile was kind of a, like a staging area. Mm -hmm. So like this big huge, it's a big long timber block. You know they bed on top, but they can kind of come and there's a big long probably six seven hundred yards of timber, and they just there's trails all up and down it. Mm -hmm. and, but it kind of pinches, you know, comes out of the big bedding area and pinches before it goes down into another timber log and kind of right there in that pinch is where I was at. And so I had been feeding corn there. Honestly, I didn't expect to actually kill the deer there. Um, most of the time I don't hunt over corn piles. I just put them out just to kind of hold deer in the area because most of the time I've not had very much success killing a mature deer over a corn pile anyway. Yeah. Um, because mature bucks, at least where I'm at, a lot of times they won't hit a corn pile in daylight. Um, but it ended up being that that was the particular trail that he'd been using and to get into the soybean. So it was kind of like a staging area for most of the deer to stage up before they went on out into the beans. Um, this particular deer, like I said, actually only hit that particular spot probably, I don't know, like three, maybe four times in daylight mm -hmm. in a month period from mid-August to you know mid-September. I think only had three afternoon daylight pictures there, four. Um, only one uh, daylight appearance in the afternoon from September 2nd to September 12th. So in that 10-day period, he hit it on the 6th. So I hunted the deer on September, on Saturday, September the, the 2nd. Didn't see him, but I saw the two bucks that he was bachelored with. I think he ended up coming out of velvet that day. So he was off somewhere rubbing his velvet off. That's why he wasn't with that bachelor group, I guess. Um and I didn't hunt again uh, for several days. He ended up being in there in daylight on the September the 6th. Um, I wasn't hunting. And then I went in on September the 8th. And he didn't even come anywhere. He didn't even come into the corn pile. Like I ended up seeing the deer, but he was down in the beans. So he had come out of the timber, went out into the soybeans, and was down in the soybeans. So, um, and, and, and unfortunately, on the 8th, um, he actually went straight toward where I was parked, which I was parked about eight, seven, eight hundred yards away. But I was looking after the hunt ended. He was right down, going heading straight toward where I parked. I looked to the north. I looked to the south. You know, because the beans go all the way up to the north and south property lines. There were deer everywhere out in the beans. So I was either going to spook that deer or spook another deer trying to get out of there. And that's the thing with this particular property and how things have changed with the CRP versus the temp, the ag. So with the CRP, entry and exit was dynamite because the deer never saw you coming and going. With the ag, things are different, especially when those crops come out. They haven't come out yet. But but you can't get through standing beans without deer seeing you. Yeah. And so uh, it, it, I knew that I was going to spook that deer trying to get back to the truck because I was parked over on the southwest corner because the southwest corner is the only access that we have, and that's another point. You really need, for access sake, you need at least two directions of access to really hunt a property. And we've been forced for the past nine years to use one little southwestern corner access because we don't have option any other options. And we've made it work, but we've had to do some, you know, take take some measures to, to accommodate for the poor access, like after an afternoon hunt, have somebody come in and pick you up, you know, instead of walking through the deer or stuff like that. Um, but this particular deer was going right down through my, my, my exit, access my exit route the only exit route that i had 
And if I didn't spook that deer directly, I was going to spook other deer. And we all know that when other deer start acting funky, the big deer you're after, he's going to start acting funky. Yeah. And so I actually, I slept in a tree stand that night to, 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 to keep from spooking the deer. Wait a second. You yep. spent the entire night in a tree stand so you didn't spook the deer so you could be there for the morning hunt? Both that and just my my, mem- my primary was goal was to not spook that deer because he was down in the beans. And I've done a lot of things to keep deer from spooking. So or to, to keep them from knowing it was me. So like before I get out of the stand, if there's a lot of neighborhood dogs, I'll bark like a dog or I'll howl like a coyote or I'll do, you know, throw a stick through the woods and get deer to run off. You know, so there's things you can do. But the problem was in this particular scenario was I was going to push him toward my truck if I did anything like that anyway, because he was already going in that direction. He wasn't going to come back up the hill toward me, if that makes sense. Because so the only other option. Because access is limited to getting in and out of this property. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, that's that's and, that's commitment, man. I mean, I don't I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I would sleep in the tree stand. Were were you planning to sleep in the tree stand absolutely not okay. but but so but but the reason that the the deer had moved so early that night and so there was so many deer so even though it's poor access usually what i can do is swing way up to the north or way down to the south and get around skirt around the edge but there was just so many deer like dozens of deer out in these soybean fields from the north end to the south end and if i spooked them they were going to run right toward him if i didn't spook him directly and it honestly it got to the point where it got so dark i couldn't see him anymore and but he was heading toward my truck at that point anyway. Anyway, there's a pond between. But so there, here's me, here's him, here's a pond, here's my truck, and he was going for that pond. And the way the property is laid out, I had to go around that pond to get to my truck because my truck was just parked, just just kind of on the not you know a couple hundred yards past that. And so I was going to spook that deer. Period. I was going to spook him, and if I didn't spook him, I was going to spook something else, and and that deer is probably going to spook him. And this deer. He was already so sporadic that I, I was afraid that I was going to push him onto the neighbors or change him. You know, he didn't really have a pattern, so I wasn't really worried about changing his pattern. But I was worried about just 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 messing him up because there was a lot of people that knew about this deer. A lot of people, I'm sure, were already hunting him because he was spending some time on the neighbors, mm-hmm. I assume, because there would be times where I wouldn't get any sightings or pictures of him for two or three days straight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think he was just bad because I didn't have any trail cameras in his bedding area. And so I think, you know, when he would, he would go back to bed on top, you know, in one of the two bedding areas that were up there, uh, you know, using those. And, and if he had, you know, like a East or a North wind for two or three days in a row, you know, he went to the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so I know that, I know that they had to have known about him. Okay. Um, everybody got really quiet this year about this deer too. So like yeah. last year, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's pass the deer. Let's pass the deer, you know? And so far this year it's kind of been crickets. Um, so that's another reason I knew is like, uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to pass him this year, but yeah. yeah. So I ended up sleeping in the stand that night just to prevent that. My, my I mean, I, since I was sleeping in the stand, I was going to go ahead and hunt the next morning. And I did, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the number one goal. The primary goal was just to keep from spooking him that night. And, um, and I think it worked. I don't think I spooked him. That is nuts, dude. And, and let me let me say this too. I do not advise anybody to do that because it is not safe to sleep in a, to sleep in a tree stand. No, it's not. Yes. No, it's I thought not safe. I thought you were just going to be not like giving anyone advice. I just thought maybe you would be like, okay, at least I'm going to get down on the ground and lay flat on the ground and sleep I there. Couldn't. I couldn't. So I ended up 
that that so I was gonna try to do that, and I had literally had deer around me all night long, like the, within fifty yards. So it was it was kind of a clearish night, so I could kind of see down into the beans. There was a persimmon tree that was about thirty yards from me too, and deer were just coming up, and it was loaded like like hundreds of pounds of persimmons on this tree, and it was like every 10 to 20 to 30 minutes i mean they were just dropping constantly Mm -hmm. and and, you know you'd hear a few drop and boom there'd be another deer under that persimmon tree boom another deer under the persimmon tree another deer and and of course it was right on the edge of the beans and so they were just coming all night long going to the beans going to the persimmons beans so i could and and i could at that point i couldn't tell what deer it was yeah and so i was afraid it was him because it's the you know you know how you know you know the power of persimmons this time of year you know they 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 love those things so so i was uh I do not advise anybody to uh, sleep in a tree stand. It's not smart, mm-hmm. um, especially a hang-on stand, which I was in. And uh, of course, I had my safety harness on. Um, and, and what I ended up doing, of course, you know, I didn't sleep. You know, even though I said sleep in the stand, I didn't sleep. I basically pulled an all-nighter is what I did. Yeah. Because one, it's it's not. You know, I, I closed my eyes and dozed a couple of times, but I was awake all night long. Yeah. But just in case I dozed off or or fell into a hard sleep. Um, I had, of course I had my safety harness on, but I also had, uh, uh, a, a strap that ran around the, uh, the, the trunk of the tree and my torso, um, to, that way if I lean and, and tightened it up. So yeah. like, I, like I didn't leave any room for it to like, you know, hang me like a noose falling out or anything like that. Yeah. I tightened it, cinched it all the way down to where I, uh, would basically couldn't move. So like I had, I had like, you know, I had my safety harness on and then I had another, another belt safety belt that I wrapped around the trunk of the tree and then strapped it across my chest. That way I literally could not yeah. go in any direction yeah. just in case I fell asleep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't advise any of that <laughs> to be honest. That was really stupid. So I, it's funny. I texted my wife. I was like, I was like, am I crazy? Dot, dot, dot. And she's like, well, we already confirmed that, but what are you asking? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, are you telling me I'm not, you know, you're not going to be home tonight? Things like that. Uh, That's funny. Um, So I'm interested in what did you see at daylight the next morning? Yeah, deer came back in, and, and again, that really doesn't work all that well. So, so I knew I was going to spook some deer probably just because, I mean, deer can smell you in the dark too. Yep. Um, and, and in the dark, they're going to be 360 on you some. So I did have a couple of deer spook, uh, I think. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know that they smelled me, but I, there was one time where I, like, clanked my foot. I didn't know any deer were around, and there was a deer, like, right under me. Um, this was, like, 3 a.m. in the morning. Um yeah you know, 4 a.m. in the morning uh, at this point. And there was like a deer, like apparently 10 yards from me and it saw me move and blew. Uh, but even though it blew, it didn't run off. It just stayed there. Um, and then I had a bunch of move back through at daylight and actually saw some decent action. Um, that really doesn't work though. Like from a tactical standpoint, if you're going to spend the night in the woods to for a morning hunt. So, cause again, that wasn't my goal. That was kind of secondary to the situation. Um, the primary goal was to not spook that deer, um, and I would have rather spooked that deer closer to daylight than, or in the dark, than right after the afternoon sit. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that would have had less impact. So I was willing to spook that deer maybe at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. when he came back through there and smelled me versus seeing me walk out at dusk, if that makes sense. Right, right. Okay. And, and so, so he, but, but you didn't see him that next morning. 
No. Okay. Which so, which I didn't expect to. Yeah. Because he hadn't been in there. He, he'd been in there a few mornings, you know, over the past month, but not a lot. So I, I wasn't really hope. Ha, I didn't have high hopes for for seeing him there. He he'd been in there a few times, but not consistently. Gotcha. Okay. Um. All right. So you played it safe. You played it really safe. <laughs> you stayed in the tree stand. We're, really not safe by playing. Well, I mean, not yet. safe from uh, an actual <laughs> yes. safety per, uh, point of view. Yes. But you played it safe as to not booger that deer up. Now, yeah. Did you? Okay. So you you make it out of there. Did you? Uh, when was the next time you actually went hunting? Yeah, so that was the 8th. So I hunted him September 2nd afternoon, opening day, the afternoon of the 8th on the Friday. I didn't actually go back and hunt the deer again until the next Tuesday on the 12th. Um, because this deer was so sporadic and not on a pattern and not consistent, um, I was like, well, corn piles this time of year can be deadly on mature deer on a big temperature drop early season. When you get up, and, and, it, and it applies to other stuff too. So if you've got like a, you know, a cornfield where, and, and, and we can get on, get in on bait topic debates. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think there's much difference over spreading out a corn pile over a quarter acre area versus, uh, or even smaller versus going in and mowing a couple of laps on a cornfield that mm-hmm. you planted. There's not a whole lot of difference there, yeah. which I know a lot of states that can't bait, you can grow corn and then bush, bush hog it. Yep. <laughs> so there's not a lot of difference there. Uh, just application. But um, but anyway, I digress. So I hunted him on that Tuesday, and I was like, well, we had a big temperature drop. So it dropped probably seven, eight degrees, you know, in highs, you know, the difference from the day before to that day. And had a little bit of cloud cover and a little, you know, sprinkling rain. I was like, huh, that might might get him, you know, on a carb diet today instead of being on those, on, you know, the greens where he's been hitting pretty heavy. So I actually did hunt over a corn pile that day, um, you know, just, just because I thought, well, there's an off chance he might actually want some, some carbs because, you know, my experience, when the temperatures have dropped, they tend to go toward carb-based food sources like corn, uh, acorns, different things like that. And then, you know, whenever it's warming up and temperatures rising, they're hitting green food sources mm-hmm. like soybeans or brassicas or whatever. And so that's where I hunted, and he ended up coming in about an hour before daylight, or excuse me, an hour before dark, um, shot him at 6.30, um, and it, you know, kind of lost light around 7.30-ish. I don't know the exact times, but he basically come in about an hour before um, legal light ended, about 30 minutes before sunset. And um, which was honestly was the earliest daylight action I'd seen probably from that deer, even comparing to preseason velvet encounters with him on camera in different locations. He, he just did not like to move in daylight. Okay. All right. And so the was the next time that you saw him the day you shot him? Yeah, so that was the twelfth. That was the day I ended up killing him. Okay. Yeah. Uh why don't you so you put you put the you said, hey, corn pile, temperature drop, the that's the equation for success today. Uh walk us through what happened, the wind direction, the time frame, where he came from to where he was going and, and when you uh actually let the arrow fly. Yeah, so that afternoon I got in a little early because I expected some early movement because we had a temperature drop. We had it actually the clouds kind of started to disperse as I got settled into the stand, and so it ended up being sunny that afternoon. Uh, but it had been cloudy all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I, I used a slightly different access route. So I hadn't knowingly spooked any deer on the previous two hunts that I went in of an afternoon, but I hadn't seen 
uh, you know, I, I did see him on the second hunt, but so I, I didn't think that I was spooking any deer, but I, just in case I had spooks, maybe some deer that may, that maybe in turn spooked him. Um, I thought there's a possibility that I had spooks, maybe some does or smaller bucks at lower elevation. Um, I'm sure he was up at higher elevation, but, um, I, I used a slightly different entry route that day. Um, got settled into the stand i actually had hung two or well four or five tree stands in that general area you know within a 200 yard stretch just to hunt it on different winds and i actually went to a different stand to begin with because that was the stand that would work with the forecasted wind and i got there and it was blowing exactly the opposite of what, or almost exactly the opposite of what it was forecasted um and so I actually circled back around and went up to that corn pile because uh, the one I went to initially was further south. So like the deer would come out of the bedding area, hit the corn pile, then come on down and then go out into the beans. And But the wind wouldn't work. Like the bent wind was literally blowing straight at the deer. And so uh, I think it was forecasting like a northwest wind that day, if I'm remembering correctly. I have to go back and look to be sure, but, but I think it was forecasting like a northwest, I, I believe. But anyway... Um, so, so but but it was blowing like south southeast in that particular spot so i circled back up and went to the other stand that i ended up hunting and it was still blowing south southeast where i was at but the way that it worked i was hunting a just off wind it was because it was kind of wasn't really southeast it was more like a south southwest once i got settled in and so uh, and then it, sometimes it would switch and come out of the southeast um but anyway ultimately what what got that deer up was a temperature drop b he wanted some carbs and c he had a just off he had the wind in his favor technically mm -hmm. to come into that spot so he was able to have that wind because he was bedding up on top they tend to come down off the hill hit this fence row and then come circle back around so it's really hard to illustrate that on the yeah. podcast but anyway he was basically able to come down out of the bedding area with the wind in his nose and then whenever he took the trail that he took to come to me it wasn't directly in his nose but it was kind of quartering into him to where he thought danger would be and i had never hunted this particular tree before and so the deer weren't used to anybody being there mm -hmm. but if i had been in some other stands that i've hunted over the past eight to nine years he'd have smelled them and deer had spooked us there or, or you know b busted us in those before and so the deer the deer know they're smart they kind of know where tree stand locations are at yep and um and so because i had a slightly different tree stand location it allowed him to think that the wind was in his favor and technically was yep. for those spots but i was just off enough that 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 scent was kind of coasting um you know my scent cone was just kind of down off of him enough that he couldn't get it so he ended up coming in, like I said, uh, he was probably the 25th or so deer, 20 to 25th deer I'd seen. A lot of other you know, yearling bucks, two and a half year old bucks, three year old bucks, and a lot of does and fawns. Yeah. Um, so he had the but wind. He come in, it was. He had the wind in his favor, though. I mean, the, the corn pile yeah. was blowing right to him. Oh, yeah. So yeah. whenever he come in there, like he was smelling. So uh, he, he, he was, he's like, yeah, there's no danger around that corn pile. Yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of people think baiting deer is easy. But I've done it a lot throughout my 25 years of deer hunting, uh, and it is not. You can very easily screw up yeah. when you're trying to, to bait deer, especially with mature bucks. Like like I said a minute ago, I've not had a lot of, of, of a lot of mature deer. It depends on the personality. Will avoid mature will, will avoid uh, corn piles in daylight. Yep. Um, 
uh, some of them won't. Some of them will just gobble it up. But um, it, even with the deer that are apt to or or tend to hit those in daylight, you can mess them up quickly because it's a fine line. Whenever they hit those corn piles in daylight, they're going to do it with the wind in their favor. Mm-hmm. The mature deer are. Those and fawns and smaller bucks, you know, they're carefree. But the mature bucks, if they, they're they only going to hit those corn piles if they think the wind is, is good for them. And that's been my experience. And so it is a very, very thin line that you have to thread in order to be successful hunting over them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tool really when you, when you kind of, when you think about it, it's a, it's a tool you use almost just like a tree stand and how you set that up and and how you think about it and and the wind directions and access routes and things like that. All right. So you saw a whole bunch of deer before he showed up. Um, was he coming straight to it and were you going to get a shot when you first saw him or did you have to coax him in with like a grunt or anything? No, I didn't, I didn't do anything to, I prefer not to call. I, I, I don't, I have never had success calling early season. Um, I know some people have, mm-hmm. but I, I'm very reserved when it comes to calling deer. I am even sometimes reserved, more reserved than I should be calling during the rut i don't like to blind call i've never had i've never to my knowledge i've never blind called a deer in i know it works a lot for, for a lot of people but it for some reason and maybe i'm just the weird the, the weird anomaly that it just doesn't work for but i've never really had much success blind calling because i have too many deer when i do blind call circle downwind of me so i usually only call during the pre-rut and the rut and 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 i know like i said i know a lot of people have had success calling early season and even late season even rattling early season or late season but i just prefer for me personally not to so i didn't do anything like that um on this particular hunt but he i did see him so he stayed up in the cedars probably stood for 10 or 15 minutes before i could see him and i i I don't know that for sure because i couldn't see him but there were other deer in the area and they just kept looking up there and they kept looking up there, and they kept looking up there. And I was like, nah, there's something up there. Because they usually don't pay that close of attention to other inferior bucks or does and fawns. But they get really, what I've noticed, especially around food sources, whether it's a small food plot or it's a corn pile or whatever it is, or an inside field corner on a on an ag field, you know, if the deer can find in a spot, um, they get really edgy and really aware. Almost like they're paying, you know, reverence to the – to the to the mac daddy or the the big daddy oh, yeah. that's that's nearby and so so uh you know that it's it's like they, they they'll look at the other deer so i had deer pouring through all day does and small bucks and, and you know they would look up when another deer was coming but they really wouldn't pay much attention when it was like oh yeah that's another deer and then um you know another deer comes oh yeah that's another deer and then whenever i think he started coming down out of the bedding area and he probably had to go about 150 to 200 yards, depending on exactly where, I don't know exactly where he was bedding at. Cause there's a bunch of beds up there that they'll use. But, uh, and I, I didn't go up in there to, to figure it out because I don't invade the bedding areas this time of year, but well, at least not in that situation. I, that's another discussion for another day, but, but anyway, so like he, he probably stood probably 10 to 15 minutes at least from where the other deer that were around me out in the beans, you know, in the timber, there was a lot of deer feeding on early successional browse. I had a lot of uh, pokeberry. Deer love pokeberry. It's high protein. Um, um, uh, they were feeding on that. There was deer overfeeding on the persimmons. There were deer feeding down the corn pile, and all those deer just turned at once and looked. And it was really cool. 
Um, and they just locked on to where I assume this buck was standing. And they, they kept that. They stayed that. And they, they kind of intermittent feed and look. But they knew he was up there. And eventually he made it down far enough where I could see him. Yeah. And from the point that I, he got to where I could see him, he stood like another four to five minutes. And then he finally slowly walked down in, um, you know, into that general area that I was focused on. Um, and he was really, he was on pins. And that's another thing. Whenever you're hunting anywhere close to a corn pile, you know, these deer are on pins and needles, especially the mature ones. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he, st- he stays there four or five minutes. He starts to meander down. How much time did you have uh, before light ran out? Like I said, you know, I, I, he, they, deer were moving early. Um, you know, I, when I saw him, it was for, first suspected that he was up there. It was probably around 6.15-ish, I guess, 6.10. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, I don't remember exactly when legal light ended, but it was somewhere around 7.30-ish, maybe a little a little before. Yeah. Um, so so I had about an hour. Okay. So I, I had enough time that I thought he was going to make it within bow range. Gotcha. And so at that point, you see him, and he he makes his way. How far was the shot? About uh, twenty four yards. Twenty four yards. All right. Yep. And and uh, good sh- like good shot. Did you have to stop him? No. Um, he he came on into the corn pile, and I self filmed this entire hunt, and it'll actually be available for viewing on Hunt Stands platforms um, okay. later this year. But so everybody will be able to see exactly how it played out if they're, if they're interested they may not want to see a corn pile hunt i've had several people tell me already that corn pile kills don't count i was like that's fine that's fine but uh but so yeah he was mostly broadside he was quartering to me just slightly but his legs were far so everybody's like oh you took a quarter and two shot no it wasn't like hard quarter and two he was like probably 90 92 93 percent broadside um you know just slightly quarter and two and he had his legs forward as well opening up that the vitals so i could actually had a clear shot straight to the heart mm-hmm. um you know in the, in the in the lungs and i took the shot i ended up hitting him a little lower than i wanted to um where that that the white hair and the and the brown hair the fur meets on the belly line, I uh, hinted him about probably two and a half three inches above that 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 line. And of course, everybody knows you know if you hit them about if you get anywhere close to that line, it, it gets a little iffy because you're hitting them low. Um, so I, I would have preferred to have hit him about two or three inches four inches higher than I did, but I wasn't real high up. I was only probably seventeen feet up in a cedar tree um this he was kind of out like I said twenty four yards so it wasn't like it was a super steep angle um and so I ended up you know the the arrow when it was so self filmed so I was able to go back and look the arrow went in just fine, but for some reason it deflected down and back. So once it, like it got to the opposite offside rib cage, it neared those ribs and turned down and exited back. Don't know why, um, why it did that, but it did. And, um, but, but, but it didn't really deflect until it got through the vitals, if that makes sense. Um, and so I ended up clipping the bottom of his heart whenever I, I feel dressed him. I looked at the heart. Um, of course, everybody knows the shape of the heart. It's like a ice cream cone. You know, it's fat up top and skinny down at the bottom. And so, like, I ended up cutting the very bottom of the heart and the ultimately where the, the bottom of the heart and the lungs and all those arteries meet is where. Yeah. And he, I ended up giving the deer 
quite a while because it was really cool. I wasn't worried about meat spoilage or anything like that. If it was, if I was worried about the, the meat spoiling, I would have went earlier, and that wasn't a factor because it was cooled off a lot. So I give the deer probably about five, five and a half, six hours just to be sure because the, I was worried about that deflection. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe it had gotten back up into the maybe one lung. What I was worried about was one lung, mm-hmm. and I was only about a half inch away from missing the bottom of the heart, so it would have been like a potentially could have been easily a one lung and a liver situation mm-hmm. um and, and if that's the case he would have needed four or five hours yeah. um didn't end up being that ended up being heart and lung and artery because yeah. it was far enough forward and high, just high enough that it was so he went 70 yards and fell over dead i couldn't see him i lost him whenever i shot and he ran off about 50 yards and i could see his rack and and then it just disappeared and so i didn't know if he bedded down fell over took off again but long story short when we found him um he had went he had done a hard 90 and ran another 15 20 yards and fell over so wow did could you see blood when you like maybe put your binos up to at the uh impact site yeah i couldn't see it from the stand but i got down and went and retrieved my arrow after about probably 45 minutes i got down i usually try to stay in the stand 30 to 45 minutes before retrieving my arrow and so i did that and went and got my arrow um pretty close still before dark uh, but right before dark got down about 45 minutes later and looked at the arrow looked like there were so so there's another thing that worried me too is the arrow so there was some blood on it looked like it was kind of lungish blood mm-hmm. some lung blood but not a lot you know it wasn't like it was straight lung it was didn't look like it was straight hard it didn't look like it was straight liver and and i knew it was a low hit to begin with and there was some fat on it and so i was like oh usually that means a low hit you know or a brisket or a low hit because they've got a lot of fat on their belly and a lot of fat on their brisket and so i was like man and so i decided that's another reason i decided to give him more time because there wasn't a lot of blood on it but it was kind of a you know a a, not a real pink lung blood and not a rich red heart shot blood Mm -hmm. or a really dark red liver hit but it was just kind of a a medium red um so to speak and there wasn't a lot of it it was across the entire arrow um you know from broadhead to 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 knock but it just wasn't really concentrated and so i was worried about it being a low and back hit and so i I gave him some time but there was good blood so long story short you know uh, well long story short i've been telling a long story even longer (laughs) but uh but he ended up being uh uh a really good blood trail probably one of the best blood trails i've ever seen um and 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 it just absolutely spraying. I mean, uh, I could have been blind and deaf and followed it just by w- holding my hands out and feeling blood on the leaves and the yeah. plants walking through the woods. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, and so, um, yeah, it, it was probably a top two or top three massive blood trail for any deer that I've personally shot. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, let's see here, you. But I didn't know that. Sorry to interrupt, but I didn't know yeah. that. If I'd have known that, I would have blood trailed him immediately. But yeah. I didn't know that because he bled decent at the point of impact and decent. You know, I only went about five steps, and I saw, you know, droplets of blood. Yeah. And so he didn't really open up until he got about 15 yards down the trail, which is typical. Yeah. But I thought he might have bedded down at 50 yards, and so I just got out. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And so you went back five hours later, found him real easy. And, uh, and, and so – Less than five minutes. Less than five minutes. So where does this buck rank as far as age class and size on some of the other deer that you've shot throughout the years? 
Yeah, he's he's not like I said, he's a four and a half year old deer here in Kentucky where I hunt. I try to shoot four and a half year old deer and older. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I'm hunting at public land in Tennessee, I'm looking for a two and a half year old deer. Excuse me, two and a half year old deer or older. Yeah. Uh, up in Ohio, we try to shoot them three and a half to four and a half and older. Um, so it depends on where I'm at. But as far as the deer I've actually killed throughout the years uh, here in Kentucky, um, you know, age-wise, he's definitely not the oldest deer that I've shot. I've shot some deer that were up there around that five and a half, six and a half year old mark. The oldest known age of a deer that I've shot in Kentucky was six and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, there might have been one that was a little older than that, but I can't say that for sure. And so I'm not going to say it is. Um, but typically when I shoot a deer here in Kentucky, he's a four and a half or a five and a half year old deer. That's gotcha. what I'm going for. Gotcha. And score wise, he's my biggest deer. Yeah. Um, what did you yeah. What did you uh, get him at? Yeah. So he ended up taping at one sixty seven, and I don't think I've held him up here since we started recording. So I'll bring him to the to the front here so people can maybe see him. But yeah. he ended up scoring. I was conservative, but he ended up scoring right at um, one sixty seven and six eighths is what he scored. Now he he has the points and the mass because he had over forty inches of mass, and he's got basically. You know, he's a, a 12 by 12 with another little point here and a split brow. But he, he ha- if he'd have had a bigger frame, because he was 16 and a half inches wide um, and pretty short beams. But if he'd have been bigger framed, he really would have been on up there because he has the time length and the number of points and yeah. the mass to do it. But he just didn't quite have the, the frame, so yeah. to speak, to be higher. But he's my biggest deer, and I'm tickled with him. He, he, like yeah. I said, he ended up being... 167 and six eights might be closer to 170 just uh you know being being conservative there yeah that's, that's where he's at i think well i tell you what that's one heck of a way to kick off the season uh congratulations on a mighty fine deer and uh i hope the rest of your hunts go just like this man so uh congratulations again and thanks for hopping on today yeah thank you for your time it's always an honor to, to be a guest and i appreciate you having me on And there you have it, another episode in the book. Huge shout-out to Josh. Huge shout-out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, Huntworth, and Ozonics. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Last but not least, uh, huge shout-out to... I think I said huge shout-out to Josh. Last but not least, huge shout-out to each and every one of you sending good vibes your way. Hopefully, you guys... Hopefully, you guys all connect on whatever dear that you're dreaming about or that you have running around on your property or you you know i'll even throw a little dash of luck in there too to hope a giant walks by your stand and you get an opportunity this year so uh good vibes in good vibes out happy friday and if you're gonna be in a tree you gotta wear your damn safety harness